Hi, this is the K. Ray Reads to You podcast, and I am K. Ray, and today I'm reading part two of chapter five of The Talking Parcel by Gerald Durrell. Thank goodness for that, said Parrot. Now you're talking sense. When will you bring it? asked Wensleydale. I must say, I am looking forward to this experiment. Just think how exciting if it works. All of us fifty times as brave. My, it makes me come out in weasel pimples just to think of it. Yes, well, don't get overexcited, said Parrot. Got to get the stuff first. Now that's where I can be of positive help to you, dearest Parrot, said Wensleydale earnestly. Can I come and help collect it? Perhaps you could cut it while I put it in baskets, or something of the sort. We'd be delighted to have you, said Parrot. Simply delighted. After all, we shall need some help, seeing where the rue grows. Where does it grow, dear boy? asked Wensleydale. In a clearing in the middle of Mandrake Forest on Werewolf Island, said Parrot grimly. Ow! Oh, ow! yelled Wensleydale, doubling up and clutching himself. My back! The agony of it! Oh, what torture! Oh, oh, oh! Still screeching, he staggered to the sofa and lay down, putting his lace handkerchief on his brow. Oh, oh, oh! he moaned. Oh, my dear parrot, the agony, the pain! You see before you a sick and suffering weasel that's probably not long for this world. Ow, ow, ow! And to think that my lumbago should have got worse just at the moment when I could have been of use to you. Oh, how shame-making! Oh, the pain! Oh, how mortified I am! Oh, the agony! Oh, be quiet, said Parrot. I was only pulling your leg. We didn't expect you to come. You didn't? asked Wensleydale, sitting up with his lace handkerchief still on his brow. You mean you were joking with me? I jest in very poor taste, my dear Parrot, if I may say so. To laugh at somebody's lumbago, especially when it's an acute attack, shows a cruel, harsh nature. Well, never mind, you'll survive, said Parrot cheerfully. And now, since you're too ill to offer us tea, we'll be off. Dear fellow, whispered Wensleydale, in the normal way I'd be most happy to give you tea, but you've got those big, big things with you. They'd drink us out of house and home. I can't think why you'd take them about with you. What did you say they were called? Children, said Parrot. You know, small humans. You mean they grow bigger than that? asked Wensleydale, alarmed. It makes one shudder. I can't see them ever becoming a popular pet, except for people with very large houses, of course. Well, thanks for your help anyway, said Parrot, and joined the children and Ethelred. They made their way to where the unicorns awaited them, and remounted. Now, said Parrot, as they set off, we seem to be getting somewhere. We've got the unicorn's help, which is something, and if this rue works, we've got all the weasels, and that is something. Now, as we're up this way, I suggest we drop in on the griffins. There's only about fifty of them. They're a quiet and industrious colony. If we can get their aid, it will be a great help. What exactly are griffins? asked Peter. Well, said Parrot, rather nice-looking beasts, I think. Lion's body and the head and wings of an eagle. The wings of our lot are purely decorative, of course. They can't fly. They used to be purple in the old days, but these are a sort of sandy color. As I say, they're quiet and hard-working, and their chief preoccupation is mining and storing gold. Gold is very important to them. They make their nests out of it, you see. 
"'Yes, without gold, the griffins would die out.' "'Don't they do anything else?' asked Simon. "'Not really,' said Parrot. "'They're good solid chaps, but with practically no sense of humour. "'You see, when H. H. founded Mythologia, the griffins were practically extinct, "'and we could find only three pairs in the Swiss Alps. "'Well, they came here and founded our colony. "'They run the only gold mine in Mythologia, and run it extremely well.' As they were talking, the unicorns had been trotting through a narrow gorge filled with a mixture of bottle and cork-trees. This now widened out into a spacious little valley. On the left-hand side of the valley the cliff-face had a series of tunnels running into it, which obviously were the mines, for a constant procession of little trucks ran into the tunnels, empty, and reappeared piled high with great glittering lumps of gold. The trucks ran to the centre of the valley, where there were seven giant cauldrons, bubbling and glubbling over fierce fires. As the trucks full of gold arrived, three griffins with spades threw the gold lumps into the cauldrons, where they were melted down instantly. On the other side, three other griffins scooped up the liquid gold in what looked like long-handled soup ladles, and poured it into moulds shaped like bricks. As soon as the gold cooled and hardened, three more griffins turned out the bricks of gold from the moulds, loaded them into trucks, and pushed them into a giant cave that lay on the right-hand side of the valley. The entrance of this important gold storehouse was guarded by no less than twelve griffins that lay on each side of it, as still as statues, their fierce golden eyes watching everything carefully. As soon as one of the sentries saw the little cavalcade of unicorns, he sat up on his hind legs, spread his wings, and blew three blasts on a slender golden trumpet. Immediately all the griffins stopped whatever they were doing and gathered round, and yet more griffins, covered and sparkling with gold dust, appeared from the mine shafts. Soon the children were surrounded by some fifty griffins. They were inclined to agree with Parrot's description of them as nice-looking beasts. Each was the size of a very large dog, with the body of a lion, and a lion's tawny coat. Their huge eagle heads, though fierce-looking, with strong curved beaks, had a kindly expression in the large keen eyes. They would occasionally spread their wings above their heads, and stretch and flap them, as hawks do. "'Good morning, good morning, gold-digger griffins,' said Parrot, when they were all assembled. "'I bring you greetings from H.H.' The griffins all said, "'Good morning,' in growly deep voices like lions. And then they pushed one of their number forward as spokesman. "'We are much pleased to see you, Herr Parrot,' he said in his rich, in his rich voice. "'Ja, ja,' chorused the rest of the griffins, nodding their heads. "'We have heard that the cockatrices have killed you and H.H. both, so we were much sad,' the griffin went on. "'Well, both I, as you can see, and H.H. are very well indeed,' said Parrot. "'It's just that the cockatrices have suddenly become disobedient.' "'That is very bad,' said the Gryphon. "'Cockatrices should not disobedient be.' "'Yes,' Parrot went on. "'They've stolen the great books of government, and are holding them in Castle Cockatrice, and we plan to get them. I and these kind children here.' "'Any friend of Herr Parrot is a friend of the Griffins,' said the Gryphon, inclining his head. "'The cockatrices need a good lesson,' said Parrot. "'We can't have them running the country. Already they're producing an egg a day. Who knows where it will end? The next thing, they'll be banning gold as a nest-building material.' "'What?' roared all the Gryphons. "'This we would not allow.' 
"'Well, there you are,' said Parrot. "'That's the sort of thing we're trying to put a stop to. "'We've got the unicorns and the weasels on our side, "'and we want to know if we can count on your help.' "'The griffins conferred together in their deep, rumbling voices, "'with much swishing of wings and clattering of beaks. "'At last the spokesman said to Parrot, "'We are agreed. We will join you.' We think government by these cockatrices will be a bad thing for mythologia. We your instructions will await. Thank you, said Parrot. We will send a message to you when we are ready. At your service always, said the griffin, bowing. As the children rode away, they could hear the clink-clink-clink of the griffin's hammers deep in the mines, and the bubbling and plopping noise of the liquid gold boiling in the great cauldrons. "'That's marvellous," said Peter enthusiastically, as they left the valley. "'I like the griffins. Just the sort of people one would like to have around in a tight corner.' "'They're slow, but sure,' said Parrot. "'Well, now we're collecting something like an army,' said Simon. "'With the unicorns, the weasels, and the griffins, we've got nearly a thousand soldiers.' "'And we'll need them,' said Parrot. "'Those cockatrices won't give in easily. Their castle is practically impregnable.' "'What does that mean?' asked Ethelred, jogging up and down behind Penelope on her unicorn. "'It means you can't get into it easily,' Penelope explained. "'Oh, can't you just?' said Ethelred. "'What about that drain what I showed you?' "'They'll have found that by now and filled it in, I'm afraid,' said Parrot. "'Well, what I say is this,' said Ethelred. "'I'm not such a useless toad as some people might think, and I've played about in that castle, toad and tadpole, for years now.' "'What I don't know about that there castle isn't worth knowing, "'and I say it's not as impregers, impregers, as what you said.' "'Well, we'll see,' said Parrot. "'When we come to plan the final campaign, "'your knowledge will be of the utmost value to us.' "'They were riding through very dense cork forest "'when suddenly the unicorns, who had been trotting along quite happily, "'stopped and started to rear and mill around.' "'Hey, hey, hey!' said Parrot. "'What's the to-do?' But the two unicorns carrying Simon and Peter, with Parrot on his shoulder, bolted off into the forest. Penelope's unicorn reared onto its hind legs, throwing Penelope and Ethelred off its back, before it also galloped off into the forest. Penelope fell into the bushes with a bump that knocked all the breath out of her body, and Ethelred, still clasping Penelope's first aid-kit, fell on his head in the middle of the path, and lay stunned.' Penelope was about to go and see if he was badly hurt, when her blood froze. Around the corner of the path, out of the cork forest, appeared three cockatrices, their scales rattling as they marched, their pale eyes glaring. Penelope sank back into the bushes and stayed quite still, hoping that the cockatrices wouldn't notice Ethelred, but he was lying right in the middle of the path. He was just sitting up, rubbing his head and groaning, when the cockatrices came up to him. Arr! "'said the leading cockatrice, in a nasty, gobbling voice. "'What have we here?' "'I'm a Peruvian greengrocer. "'What's here travelling around to collect a cargo of moon-carrots?' "'said Ethelred immediately, with great confidence. "'You don't look like a Peruvian greengrocer,' said the cockatrice, peering at him, "'little wisps of flame and smoke trailing from his nostrils. "'You look more like a toad.' "'Well, I'll let you into a secret,' said Ethelred, smiling up at the cockatrice. "'But first, would you mind moving your beak a little bit? "'I don't want to get me at singed.' "'Well,' said the cockatrice, standing back, "'what's the secret?' 
"'Well,' said Ethelred, "'I'm a toad. That's quite true. I'm disguised as a Peruvian greengrocer, because I'm incognito.' "'What?' snarled the cockatrice. "'I'm in disguise,' Ethelred explained. "'Why?' asked the cockatrice. "'Because,' said Ethelred, "'I'm on a very important mission, that's why. "'I'm carrying a very valuable present here "'from the Ed Griffin to the chief cockatrice.' "'What is the present?' asked the cockatrice. "'It's a complete master-spy's outfit,' said Ethelred, "'patting the first aid kit. "'In here is the equipment what will turn you into "'an Australian sheep-farmer on vacation "'or a Lithuanian ambassador to Togoland in a flash.' "'I don't believe you, Toad,' snarled the cockatrice. "'Show me what you have in the bag.' Penelope held her breath, for she knew that the only things in the bag were medical supplies that she had brought. "'Air, I can't do that,' Ethelred protested. "'It's not good manners to show you other people's presents.' "'If you don't show me, I shall arrest you,' said the cockatrice. "'Air,' said Ethelred, playing for time, "'you've got no right to arrest me. What have I done?' "'We are the government. Therefore we have every right to arrest you,' said the cockatrice. "'At your execution your crime will be read out for you to hear. Open the bag.' "'Oh, all right, then,' said Ethelred sulkily. He opened the bag and emptied the contents onto the ground, while the three cockatrices bent over it inst interestedly, peering with their pale straw-coloured eyes. "'What's that?' asked one cockatrice, pointing at a roll of cotton wool. "'False air!' said Ethelred immediately. Stick it on your head, and you're an old man of ninety in a second. "'And that?' asked the second cockatrice, pointing at the bandages. "'Bandages,' said Ethelred. "'Wrap em round you, and you're a wounded warrior in a trice. Wrap em round your head, and your own mum wouldn't know you.' "'And this?' asked the third cockatrice, pointing at a bottle of iodine. "'Indu make-up.' said Ethelred airily. Splash it on your face, couple of bandages round your head, a ruby or two, and you're a Maharaja what so lifelike you could deceive an elephant. And this? asked the first cockatrice, pointing to a small bottle. The bottle, Penelope knew, contained lavender water, which she'd brought because it was cooling and soothing if somebody had a headache or sunstroke. Invisible ink, said Ethelred. "'But why isn't it invisible?' asked the cockatrice. "'Because invisible ink isn't,' Ethelred explained. "'It's what it writes what's invisible, not the ink.' "'I don't believe you,' said the cockatrice. "'Open the bottle and let me see you write something invisible.' "'You ain't half a disbelieving lot,' grumbled Ethelred. "'How can you see me write something what's invisible?' Nevertheless, he picked up the bottle and uncorked it. Immediately the most extraordinary thing happened. The three cockatrices reeled back, the tears streaming from their eyes, and they started sneezing. As they sneezed, great gushes of flame and smoke shot from their nostrils, and Ethelred, holding the bottle of lavender water with one hand and his top hat on with the other, had to hop to and fro with great agility to prevent himself from being burnt. Why, thought Penelope to herself, they're behaving just like the one that was chasing Septimus. I must have had some lavender water on my clothes. Suddenly the three cockatrices could stand it no longer. Wheezing and gasping for breath, their eyes watering, sneezing great sheets of flame, they turned and ran, 
coughing and spluttering, into the cork forest. "'Cor, blimey!' said Ethelred, gazing after them in astonishment. "'Suffering's frogs spawn! Who'd have thought it?' "'Ethelred!' said Penelope, coming out of the bushes, some of which were still smouldering. "'That was the bravest thing I've ever seen anyone do!' "'Cor, miss, it wasn't nothing,' said Ethelred, going a deep crimson. "'Not only were you brave, but you discovered something the cockatrices don't like, and that'll be a great help to us in our battle,' said Penelope. "'You mean the lavender water, miss?' asked Ethelred. "'Yes, that did seem to get them in a pickle, I must admit.' "'I'm not quite sure how we can use it,' said Penelope, "'but I'm sure one of the others will be able to think of a way.' Just at that moment Peter and Simon appeared, galloping back through the woods with Penelope's unicorn following. "'Are you all right, Penny?' shouted Simon. "'Quite all right,' she shouted back. "'It was these stupid unicorns,' shouted Peter. "'They said they could smell cockatrice.' His voice died away as he saw all the smouldering bushes and charred trees. "'So the unicorns were right,' he said. "'There were cockatrices about.' "'And if it hadn't been for Ethelred's bravery, "'I don't know what would have happened,' said Penelope, "'climbing onto her unicorn.' "'Here, steady on, miss,' said Ethelred, as he took his place behind her. "'You're making me all embarrassed.' "'Ethelred's made a most important discovery,' said Penelope. "'But with all these cockatrices about, it's not safe here. "'Let's get back to the crystal caves, and I'll tell you about it there.' "'Come on, then,' said Parrot. "'Full steam ahead.' And, at a smart canter, they headed for the crystal caves." And that's the end of chapter 5, and I recorded that for you on February oh, 25th or so in 2011 in San Diego, California.